I think um I think in this episode we this is like one of the only times when we would be like solidly justified in randomly breaking into song. Right? Most because of the time of we just what do that. We're we're talking about here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is one of the the few times in our lives when our singing wouldn't just be random. Singing <laughs> would be appropriate. <laughs> Hello, dear listener of Pop Hello. DNA. Welcome to Pop DNA, Welcome part four to- of our Pirates of the Caribbean discussion yeah. series, a movie franchise that is still going for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's very cynical of me. No, I don't understand it either. I was looking at those dates you posted of like 2003 was the first one and the next one is coming out now and I was just like, why? Uh, I don't. Why? I also, I noticed usually, (laughs) I feel like usually in our episodes we kind of dote over something we really liked at least Uh once an episode. (laughs) And that's yeah. not something we've been doing this. Well, this time. is such a this is like such a weird franchise though yeah. because like it started out so good and then yeah. it just drew, like each, you know. <laughs> like I think I think the second and third movies are like solid. I know a lot of people, you know, didn't like them as much, which fair. I thought they were solid, but like they they've just like each movie has gone down in quality from the previous movie and sure. yet they're still they're still making them i don't i don't get it <laughs> this is a unique one where you and i were super interested in the topic as a whole but uh-huh. just not yeah just not how it was being done in this i don't know yeah yeah well i think yeah like it's the lore and the influences and like the you know this whole rich tradition of you know history and literature behind it is so interesting yeah. and I mean like you, like you know I keep going back to this like the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie holds up pretty well like yeah it's still a lot, a lot of fun. fun to watch it's yeah. still yeah it's still a great movie um and I think that's what we're <laughs> But I think both of us are mostly, you know, focusing on the first movie. But, um, yeah, it's just a it's a weird one. It's a yeah. weird one. <laughs> Before we jump into our discussion today, I did want to note a few like just hilariously badly written parts of it. Like, there's a moment, there's a moment when Elizabeth Swan, what you know, in the first movie when the the pirates kind of attack their house or whatever the elizabeth swan's house Uh and then elizabeth swan is trying to figure out why it's happening or something and her maid who again has no name but her maid says Uh it's because you're your family the governor's daughter yeah like she she's like you're the governor's daughter like like she uh, knows like that's supposed to mean something Uh, yeah and like how does the maid know yeah like yeah i feel it just yeah. didn't, and like I don't, <laughs> I feel like we. Hello, Poppet. 
like Kira Knightley is playing the character so as such an intelligent person, and then to have her like, "You're the governor's daughter." Like, yeah, she knows. She understands. <laughs> she gets it. <laughs> is there like some kind of legend or lore about governor's daughters and pirates? Like, right? I don't like. How, how what is that supposed to mean uh yeah I, I, <laughs> I know that's so funny that you mentioned that because on my rewatch I noticed that too I was like you're the governor's daughter <laughs> like what does that mean okay <laughs> yeah uh, the, anyway the other piece that I made me just laugh so hard was the the young actor who plays young will turner when he oh. coughs and then just dies he like he cough he paused and then he just dies it's it's just so sweetly acted by the actor like he's just hamming it up and having fun and i loved it there's but a it boy was also, in the water it was, there's a lot of really, really funny parts. There's a boy in the water. There's a boy in the water. And he's like, okay, ah. my my favorite, like, weird, like, very specific thing in movies that I love is little kids with British accents <laughs> I saying know. weird, like, just you know completely inane things but it just cracks me up so much so like that's one of them there's a boy in the water and then and then um lucy in the lion the witch in the wardrobe when like they first get to the professor's house and she's and like susan's like tucking her into bed and lucy goes the sheets feel scratchy (laughs) (laughs) and i just crack up every time yeah Oh, they're so funny. It's okay. so funny because, like, they're, they're actors and they're committed, but they're also children. And there's just something yeah. so joyous about it. Like, when we see young Captain or young Will and young Elizabeth, you can tell that Elizabeth, the actress playing Elizabeth, is taking this so seriously. Oh, and yes. And the, act, the actor <laughs> playing Will Turner is just a little ham. It's It just <laughs> cracked me up. It, it made brought me joy. And it's a little bit of a tangent, but it also, I just felt the need no, to No, I love it. it. I love it. <laughs> Um, but she's singing she's singing a song at the beginning yeah she's she's definitely singing a specific type of song in the beginning of it oh tell me about that she's singing one of them sea shanties oh one of those yeah 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 and when i think so we get that that really lovely beginning which kind of uh to the first movie specifically which has the mist that we talk about that was originally a description of the Kraken. And then we hear Elizabeth singing a sea shanty. And I really do love how they build the world at the very beginning. I thought that was just a magical transportation into the world, Mm -hmm. kind of immediate world building. And a lot of times when I think of pirate tales, I think of those sea shanties that we hear and for all of the word nerds out there like me mm-hmm. and and obviously you as well shanty how comes dare. from <laughs> how dare <laughs> shanty comes from the french chanter which means to sing ooh french hey. fancy <laughs> 
And like, it's interesting that these sea shanties are often placed in kind of a haunting place within the movie. Like that was very much meant to be kind of a haunting, scary ebb into this movie when a lot right. of when a lot of the lyrics are actually meant to be funny and a lot of the purpose of a sea shanty was to to take a humorous look at the kind of crappy life of a, someone working on a ship. It was very much like, oh, this is awful, but let's laugh about it, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Well, and... that's, also, that's also a trope that's used in horror movies where you have a child singing like a lullaby in like, right. a minor key. And right. like it's so common in horror movies that it just like if if you hear that in any other genre, I think it just immediately like conveys like that kind of horror tone. It's yeah. a weird it's a weird thing. Totally. Yeah, it's that minor key. We love it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And specifically with and I I really um I like that you brought up those nursery rhymes because that's so true. They're kind of another, you don't want to say simplistic, but you like, they're easy to make creepy because Mm -hmm. they're so part of our memory, you know? And I think that's kind of similar with the sea shanty that these are very much common songs that were heard um, a lot um, at this day and age. And we see the first ones in the mid 1400s. And I didn't know until I researched it, that the kind of cadence and percussive nature of the call and response format was actually by design. It was actually designed so that these um, larger crews who were manning these larger ships could all keep in contact with each other, um, mm-hmm. which I didn't know. So it was an easy way to ensure that everyone on the ship was going in the same rhythm and at the same pace and working together. It made me want to use them in my preschool classroom so that yeah. <laughs> we could all be on the same page because that's hard. It's like a walkie-talkie system. But like... Exactly. Um <laughs> communication was just not on their side in these huge ships at sea when things were changing so so quickly and it's Um, probably like really loud with like the waves and the wind and yeah and they're not doing like they're not doing like simple office data entry right they're doing Uh like these gross motor activities like where Uh Gross motor activities. You're such a preschool teacher. (laughs) Oh, I just okay. Large actions. They are doing these large actions. <laughs> uh, sometimes it just comes out of yeah. heavy physical labor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh goodness. The other really cool thing about the shanty is that they it mimics the the feel of the ocean, so that kind of natural mm-hmm. rock, sure. so that they could feel more. I mean. They maybe didn't need that too much because on a ship you can't really get away from that rocking motion, but it does also <laughs> make sure that the action flows with the the movement of the ship so that mm-hmm. you don't have to like work even harder to work against the grain that you're, you know, I just, I found this fascinating. And like <laughs> the call and response format is obviously a huge part of this as well, because not only did it, 
it makes sure that you are on par with your other crewmen. But you are so often we don't want to listen to our bosses, right? We we want to ignore like major leadership. But this call and response format made it so that everyone on the ship was listening and actively doing what the the boss was right. saying. Um, yeah. So in terms of kind of higher level management, this is actually kind of a, a brilliant idea to also, I don't know, kind of trick your crew into thinking they were just singing a song and having fun <laughs> when actually yeah. they're all working really well together as a, as a machine. Just, just bros singing a song together. Yeah, man. Come on. Um, Here comes treble. Yeah. <laughs> um. Another interesting Andy, thing. Andy Bernard would thrive as oh. the shanty man. <laughs> oh, that would be his element for sure. <laughs> oh my goodness. He also knows nautical flag signaling, so so it'd be great. And he has a lot of boat shoes from going to he does. Stanford. <laughs> um or wherever whatever fancy school he goes to, one of them. Um <laughs> That was pointed so that he would, if he were listening to this, he would be really mad at me um, that I Cornell. couldn't quite remember, that I, I named it wrong. That was, that was, yeah. Cornell. Anyway. Um, Big Red. <laughs> oh my gosh. But the kind of cool thing that happened too is that the type of shanty depended on the work that was being done. So a short drag sea shanty um, matched the percussion of a shorter task, which needed those like staccato movements. And then a long drag sea shanty was for a task that needed to be completed right away. And a pumping shanty was used to fix a leak or otherwise mm. kind of repair a task. So not only... Not only do you know how to work together as a team, but you also have a shorthand for these super dangerous things right as they come up. Like you don't have time to run around the ship if you see a leak, but you start this song and then, you know, um, everyone knows what's happening. So I'm just marveling at the management. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. I have to wonder, I have to wonder like how that started, like how that developed. Right. That yeah system interesting i know like because it just seems so perfect and i wonder mm -hmm. i almost want to see like the deleted scenes so to speak of like yeah. oh this song the this song doesn't work at all <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh we can't sing pat a cake what were we thinking you guys <laughs> like just the the fail the b-list songs that all failed um right yeah it's again it's hard with with this time in history to have something concrete so in other parts of what i was reading long and short drag sea shanties are called capstan sea shanties but i i don't honestly know um I don't know. I think that's just how different crews thought about it. Oh, okay. And it's within these that we get that kind of dry, witty sense of humor um, mm -hmm. that we see a little bit of, like, with the, um, with two of the kind of sillier men of the ship, the the tall guy and the kind of, the, you know, the two, um, the guy who was in the office and then the oh, other guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, their whole sense of humor is really mimicking the witty, dry the, sense of humor. The other Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. <laughs> yes, exactly. 
Um, yeah. The guy with the there's the two the... there's two Rosencrantz and Guildensterns in Pirates of the Caribbean. We should always have two pairs of them. We need it um, at least. Yeah. And then there were also um, adventure shanties, which were those ones where you're out on a sea with you're out at sea working as a pirate and you really just need something entertaining to do. So it's kind of like the songs that Dandelion would sing about Geralt of Rivia or like, um, which also feels a little bit like propaganda for these pirates to keep them interested and to keep them doing Uh working hard or whatever. Yeah. All of the, I had no idea. So last episode, I didn't know that they had like bylaws for being a pirate. And this episode (laughs) I'm fascinated at how well-managed a pirate ship was. Right, yeah. Kind of bad for their um, bad for their image as, like, these scary people that they're, like... <laughs> they're just singing all the time. <laughs> just singing. <laughs> Guarantee that if you lose a limb, you get 800 coin. You know, they yeah. really thought about the hard thing. <laughs> they really took care of their own. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um so there's really no way to transition this. Um yeah. but you know that I I talk about corsets any chance I get. Um Of corset <laughs> you do. <laughs> oh my gosh. <gasps> that was solid, Aaron. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that was good. <laughs> so I I I want to talk about corsets now. Um, yeah. In particular, the infamous tight lacing corset scene in the first movie. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> um, and really, like, this corset gag is ultimately what sets the main plot into motion. Yeah. Which, like, you might not, like, think about. But, like, yeah, that's what, like, <laughs> that's what starts the whole story. Um, but I also want to talk about... Kira Knightley and her acting career and her prolific work in period films. Yeah. I think this is where that started. Um, and oddly enough, I think that these two things are kind of related. And I'll I'll tell you how in a minute. But for for Kira Knightley's film career, so like it's almost like a Everybody knows, like, she's in a lot of period pieces. Like, yeah. Right. Like, everyone knows that. Like, <laughs> like she did, you know, Pride and Prejudice, one of my favorite movies ever. Yeah. Um, and The Duchess and Atonement, I think, were kind of her early, like, her earlier movies that kind of made her reputation as a period film actor yeah Um, and then she's been in a lot of period films since then as well and she's she's actually said in interviews that roles in period films have appealed to her because the characters are so much more fleshed out and interesting than most of the roles in you know kind of modern set bigger movies that she's been offered sure and she, yeah, and she's actually theorized that this is because period films are so often marketed heavily toward women. So right. the the female protagonists 
kind of like their character complexities um, are more likely to be accepted by, you know, a female audience and identified with by their audience than, you know, and, you know, a like a modern set or like a more, you know, conventional mainstream blockbuster movie. Sure. Um, and she's quoted as saying, for years I felt guilty about it, like it was something I should try to shake off. Then I realized that these were the films I've always loved watching. I think some people find escapism through science fiction or fantasy, and I suppose my escapism into another world has always been through period drama. It's nice that in my 30s I can finally admit that. (laughs) Oh, I like her so much. I love her so much. (laughs) But yeah, like, that's true. Uh, Like, leading female characters in blockbuster action movies and, like, you know, popcorn, sci-fi flicks, superhero movies... Like, as we have often discussed, these movies, uh, you know, these characters tend to be like one dimensional stereotypes that are designed for the male gaze. Right. You know, they're like the reward for the hero at the end, or <sighs> they're uh-huh. like a blank slate to be shaped by male influence, or. They're just like a one-dimensional villain or they're like a helpless object that's placed into a vulnerable situation to propel a man's storyline. Yeah. Which we've talked about that um, Yeah, a, a bit as well. But on the rare occasions when that's not the case, you know, when we do have a lead female character in a big blockbuster film who's not designed to make men comfortable or to fit neatly into one of these little boxes that the male gaze will allow, you have a very vocal segment of that franchise's male fan base who is, you know, just like really loud and nasty about it and, Uh you know, just be (laughs) like not cool about it like we see with ray and star wars like we see with captain marvel like yeah so i definitely see where nightly is coming from she has mostly stayed away from being cast in those kinds of roles though you know she was in uh star wars episode one when she was like 13 she was Um, i forgot yeah (laughs) I think she has like three lines, but um, <laughs> oh, how funny! Yeah, uh, but it is interesting to note. So, like, I think Pirates of the Caribbean is probably like the closest that she has come to that kind of you know big blockbuster um, movie role, and yeah, um, and that character Elizabeth Swan actually originated as more of that kind of stereotypical damsel in distress kind of character. Um, And I don't think, I think in uh, the second and third movies, she does, you know, like the character is fairly well distanced from that stereotype. But in the first movie, I don't think that she ever fully sheds that origin as like a damsel in distress. Yeah. Um, which, you know, is 
perhaps why we don't have thousands of lengthy ranty youtube videos about how <laughs> feminism ruined the pirates of the caribbean franchise <laughs> um <laughs> yeah yes um i roll so <laughs> Um, yeah, so she's actually talked about this in interviews as well, um, about how, you know, originally Elizabeth Swan was going to be just, you know, a straight up one dimensional, uh, you know, damsel who has to be saved until um, she and the director, Gore Verbinski, she talked to Verbinski and they had this conversation about how she wanted to um, alter the character to have more agency and to, you know, actually uh, take action within the story. Right. Um, and as the movies went on, they showed, you know, even more of a progression past that um, kind of stereotype. And so here's where um, the corset comes into it. So, <laughs> so when asked about how, she got into character um, in another interview. She um, has often cited that the corset was a big part of it, that she felt that when she, when Elizabeth was wearing the corset, she it, it kind of like naturally made her act more um, like her her actions and her movements were more refined and more purposeful. Just, sure. you know, because of the way that a corset, you know, kind of affects your posture and the way that you carry yourself, like that's, you know, just kind of how that character came out. But then um, she says that when in the movie, when the corset comes off, she says that she's able to be more liberated and to be, you know, more energetic and more active. Right. Um, <laughs> she, so she's also said uh, that she became lightheaded from wearing her corset. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about the scene, though, with the corset. So yeah. in this scene, Elizabeth's father gives her a new corset. And, okay, so I've been saying the word corset because that's the word they use in the movie. And that's the word that most people are familiar with. But in the early to mid 18th century, when the movie purportedly takes place corsets did not really like i mean they existed but like they they weren't widely used yet right um so so what she puts on is actually stays sure. which i talked about in one of our hamilton episodes yeah so go listen to that so she's wearing stays not a corset and they're just calling it a corset that's fine that's the <laughs> word people know that's okay um so and uh the scene shows her maid tight lacing her into the garment um this scene heavily recalls the corset lacing scene from gone with the wind yeah which is almost single-handedly responsible for our current cultural conception of corsets on screen I think of also the scene from Titanic where Rose is being laced into her corset. Yeah. Um, there's even a scene in the first episode of Bridgerton where yeah. uh, one of the characters is being tight laced into a corset, which kind of doesn't really make sense for the silhouettes of their dresses. But anyway, so. <laughs> right. 
Tight lacing is exactly what it sounds like. It's lacing a corset extremely tightly, which makes it more restrictive and it shapes the body more dramatically. Um, but this was not the norm at any time in the history of corsets or stays or before stays, um, there was a garment called a pair of bodies that kind of had the same function. Um, but yes, tight lacing was never the norm at any point. Just yeah. wanted to note that. Um, <laughs> Governor Swan yeah. comments that this is the latest fashion in London. But tight lacing was not even remotely popular until the 19th century. And even then, it was not common. Sure. So this is inaccurate. Yeah. Um, and then um, Elizabeth quips that ladies in London must have learned not to breathe, um, which, okay, like, solid joke. That's great. Um, and then... <laughs> So then she faints later on because her corset is too tight and she falls into the ocean and then she's saved by Jack Sparrow. And of course he has to cut off her dress yeah. and her corset, obviously, because like uh -huh. got to. And, <laughs> and this kicks off the chain of events of the main story. Like this is what leads yeah. to like the main story so I am normally like not at all a stickler for historical accuracy uh -huh. in period pieces like especially when the you know quote-unquote inaccuracies are for the sake of like character or story or for uh, putting things into context for the audience so yeah like, Hamilton, we just spent, you know, a month talking about Hamilton. That's a great example of how you can play with historical accuracy. One of another one of my favorite movies, Sofia Coppola's Marie Antoinette does this really well. Yeah. And then especially with a movie like Pirates, that's it's really a fantasy adventure that just happens to be set in a historical period I don't think it's really worthwhile to try to assess the historical accuracy of the costumes or the sets or anything else about the movie when that is not the point <laughs> um, like it doesn't really matter um, sure to the story of the movie but <laughs> in this case the case of the corset fiasco as it is as it is known in my apartment um, uh, yes sure <laughs> so this particular detail actually really really bothers me yeah. um, not because it's historically inaccurate but because this is a detail that becomes a key plot point it does affect the story yeah and because of all of this baggage that comes along with any discussion of corsets and women's bodies and women's agency. Yeah. Because we have this, there's this weird cultural idea of the corset as like a symbol of patriarchal oppression. Yeah. That like, we have this idea that like, women in the olden times were forced to wear corsets that were like these painful 
contraptions because they had to conform to like men's ideal of female beauty which like is not true um (laughs) most people and I mean most people today like our only experience with corsets comes from what we see in movies and TV like Gone with the Wind and Titanic and so like all we ever see of corsets is these scenes where they're being used to restrict a woman's body and a woman's agency And so, like, that's kind of helped perpetuate this idea. And then we also have, like, clickbaity articles about (laughs) actresses not being able to breathe or being in pain or, like, having their organs rearranged while wearing a corset for a film. And that also, like, you know, keeps perpetuating this idea. Yeah. Um, like one example I think is um, Emma Stone has talked about in interviews how the corset that she wore for the favorite like rearranged her organs. Oh, and wow. like I'm you know, yeah, and like like maybe that's true, but like I think we blow that way out of proportion because like I don't know why, but anyway. <laughs> I can um, say every musical I've ever done, I've had to sing and dance in a corset. Um, yeah, like, I don't know. It's But okay. I'm fine, um, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and, and Knightley herself has even talked about how, like, Elizabeth is liberated when she takes her corset off. But, yeah, like... I don't know. Why are we so fascinated with the idea of corsets as like these oppressive anti-feminist torture devices? Right. Like why? (laughs) So like, I mean, it's not just in this movie. Like you see it in so many other period movies where like a woman takes her corset off and that's like shorthand for her being liberated from the patriarchy. Right. Like men wore corsets too. Do people yeah. know that? Like, but like most things, we can blame this on the Victorians. <laughs> so, sure. Um, so I recommend that everyone stop what you're doing right now and go watch Carolina Zabrowska's video on YouTube called How Victorian Men Taught Us to Hate Corsets. Ooh. Um, and you should, I mean, you should just watch everything that Carolina Zabrowska has made because she's incredible. Yeah. But in this video, so she's made several other videos discussing kind of um, historical and cultural views of, of corsets and corsetry and, and, and uh, just historical fashion in general. Um, But in this particular video, she points out that, you know, any cultural element or, or any interest that is primarily seen as, like, a women's interest, such as fashion, has historically been, like, socially derided and ridiculed, subject to intense scrutiny and stereotyping that more male-oriented interests have not. So, like, mocking the latest fashions, painting women who follow and care about fashion as shallow or unintelligent or vain has been a way of subjugating women for hundreds of years. Like, you know, we talk about, like, the not like other girls trope. 
but like that's been going on for centuries like yeah it's it's part of uh the culture so in uh in the late 19th and early 20th centuries when women you know were gaining like unprecedented independence and cultural influence and economic influence is really important to note this is the time when you start to see the biggest concerted effort to paint corsets as simultaneously like vain and frivolous and you know products of fashion and at the same time tools of the oppression of women um yeah you know it's kind of like the like that sort of image of like bra burning we have of like (laughs) 1960s feminism like that's kind of there was like concerted effort from anti-women's rights or like not organizations necessarily but like groups that you know had a vested interest in keeping women from being able to vote putting out this idea that no corsets are the real thing that's oppressing you (laughs) um not not patriarchy it's just corsets Right, right um and so like that's that's really where I think this idea comes from because like a corset you know if anyone who you know any like historical costumer or like reenactor or you know just um anyone who has worn a corset on a regular basis for any amount of time will tell you that if your corset fits properly and if you wear it properly and especially if you have gotten used to wearing one, it's not any more uncomfortable than like a bra. Like right. <laughs> it doesn't restrict your breathing. It might restrict your movement a little bit, but yeah. it's not like you can't do things. Like you can find videos. Um, there's a few um, historical costumers that I follow on Instagram um, and they'll post things about like, They'll post like videos like doing jumping jacks in their corsets or like climbing yeah. trees in their corsets. So like it's not it does not like restrict you any more than any other item of clothing. It's just we just for some reason love to like hate on corsets. I don't know. I don't uh, yeah. Know. Um <laughs> but then I... uh I should oh, go ahead. <laughs> Oh, I was just going to say, I, um, every single thing I've ever done in theater, I've been wearing a corset. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's like wearing Spanx. Like, yeah. Nobody talks about how they, like, Spanx restrict your movement. And why do you wear Spanx? Because you think it looks better. Like, yeah, it's, (laughs) it's fine. Yeah. But, um, just to kind of like wrap this up i've been rambling for a long time um (laughs) um, but just to kind of go back to um comments from actresses who have worn corsets for film roles there's um another great video that i recommend by lena peeprick who's another historical costumer and she she talks about in that video about you know, like actresses who have talked about this, like, you know, those are their real experiences. And so, and, you know, it's, it's probably, you know, in articles, it's probably been kind of exaggerated and sensationalized to get clicks. Um, 
but you know like they they're not you know these actresses aren't lying like they right. they did you know at some point have a negative experience and so she just has this really great discussion about you know why why that might be like maybe you know yeah. they're they're just wearing their corset for too long you know she gets she gets into like all the different considerations that that we you know can think about when we hear things like this um yeah but yeah you should go check that video out too yeah and and you know if you're curious about corsets like look into it yeah i i have one and i use it just like for costumes yeah but you know it's fun yeah it looks great (laughs) yeah i love them yeah i think I think it's really interesting, like, yeah, go go seek out those videos, because I think um, it's interesting how we decide, I don't know, these power, like, you can be powerful in a corset, too, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, just really interesting. Yeah, some of the most powerful I've felt on stage mm-hmm. has been in a corset, and like... Yeah, like, it does, like if it fits you correctly, like it can do yeah. great things like for your posture and like, you know, for like realigning like your, um, like your spine. Um, like, you know, people who like have yeah. like scoliosis, like they'll often be prescribed like back braces basically. Yeah. But they're essentially corsets and they help, you know, help you with your posture and justice for corsets they're all so pretty Mm. i like them (laughs) it's a worthy cause well that's the end of my corset rant but i like i'm like a, am like a marmy march as portrayed by susan sarandon in the 1994 little women (laughs) she like always has to talk about corsets yeah we took a quiz we did take a quiz who did you get I, uh, oh no! I got Hector Barbosa. Barbosa. Whatever. Whatever. You have a monkey. <laughs> I have a what? A monkey. He has a monkey. Oh, I do. Yeah, I live with a yeah. cat, so I guess that's similar. But yeah. It, who did you get? I got Elizabeth Swan. <laughs> See, that's better. <laughs> yeah. The only girl besides Zoe Saldana. Um, right. I like the description, though. <laughs> it oh, says, yeah. You're not what meets the eye. You come off as sweet and innocent, but inside, you are a king. <laughs> yes. And I would just like to say, thank you. Yes, I am yes, a thank king. You. And it couldn't have been a queen, but okay, whatever. whatever no, it's a king. Um, or it's a non-gender specific monarch right okay yeah mine just said something non-committal about how like you're good at blah 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 but then you're blah like whatever okay i was not happy buzzfeed <laughs> <laughs> are we ever truly happy with buzzfeed though sometimes like when i have to name my favorite snacks and then you tell mm. me what kind of like like which uh, muppet you are yeah, I would take that quiz. <laughs> yeah, tell us your favorite snacks, and we'll tell you which which muppet you are. Oh, line me I bet up. that already exists somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a thing for sure. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, but speaking of Muppets. Yeah. We are going to, well, we haven't done it yet, but we're going to uh, record commentary for Muppet Treasure Island, and that will be on our Patreon. Yeah. For you Patreon subscribers. I'm so excited to, to talk about all Me my too. sweet Muppet friends. Yeah. I'm so excited. <laughs> yes. But that, that wraps up our Pirates of the Caribbean series, though. Aw, that was fun. Aww. We had fun. This was fun. I I enjoyed this doing the research for this like more than I was anticipating. I I felt the same way. I yeah. I walked into researching it like just with images of Johnny Depp in my head and then oh, I got super no. into it. So yeah. Oh, that's something you never want. Um No. What are we talking about next month? Ooh, next month is fun. Ooh. Yeah. Next month is is something that's being heavily discussed in our public lexicon at the moment. Oh, yes, it is indeed. Our public lexicon is going bananas. Yeah, wow, that thing won't <laughs> shut off. Um, we're talking about yeah, how do you, is there an off switch is there an off yeah. switch for the public lexicon? Can I disable my Does it have a warranty? Lexicon? One division, one one division. Yeah, we're gonna talk about WandaVision. Yet another Disney owned property. Oh my they've taken over our lives. <laughs> we're just Disney shills. Except they don't pay us. <laughs> hey Disney, get on that. <laughs> and in fact, Disney copyrighted our our one of our designs in our T public shop. <laughs> Oh wow! They made us take it down. Oh it gosh. was the uh, the Shakespeare's bigger than Disney design. <gasps> We've sold like two of those, but they're like, nope. <laughs> wow! Oh my goodness! Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. So that's next time. <laughs> yeah, we'll continue to shill for Disney, and oh, we might have some guests. Just saying. Yay! Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. That's all. Well, thanks, friends. Um, I hope you enjoyed our month-long discussion of pirates. And I think this episode alone was about a month long. It was fun. I liked it. Yeah. Me too. But we all know the drill. Take care of each other. Take care of yourself. And, you know... Let us know. Let us know what you thought about yeah about this discussion. Find us on our social needs, our social meds, our social meds, and yeah. Come join us as we talk about Muppets because we love them. Yeah, yeah, on our Patreon. Okay. Patreon. All right, guys. Okay. And gals and non-binary pals. And all of them. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye.